Boot camp for believers, basic training. How many of you were here last week? Okay, if you were here, you witnessed me strip and throw grenades into the audience. I will not do that today. That was a one-time offer. Only one, only one. But we had a great time last week. We talked about spiritual warfare and the components. And, and really the goal is to help equip you for a battle. How many know you're in a battle? How many know that Jesus won the war? So he won the war, but you're in a battle. And last week, I really focused on, kind of in a funny, grenade-like way, uh, stripping kind of way, uh, I wanted to show you that we fight not people, but we fight who? Flesh and blood? No. We fight principalities and powers, rulers of this dark world. That would mean demons. That would mean things that try to, these entities, these fallen angels, that really, they hate you, they hate me, they want to do everything in their power to disrupt God's presence in your life. God's overcoming power. And then we talked about how, as an army of one, how we need to engage and get engaged this battle by joining together many parts, one body, and how important it is to get connected with people who will build you up and not tear you down. That's what the local church is supposed to be, right? Sometimes we have to be a hospital. Sometimes we have to be uh, a, a drill sergeant. Uh, the role of a pastor is a very unique balance because on the one hand, I have to wear the drill sergeant hat. On the other hand, I have to be the nurse and the doctor. But you know what is interesting is, is that we do life together. We understand, and this was a principle that I really wanted to hammer home last week, is that we don't fight people. Let me say that again. We don't fight people. But there is another battle that we do face. Uh, I mentioned one of the enemies. And then the other enemy is simply our flesh. Now, there's many struggles that I had over the years with our flesh. I had alcohol problems. Those were all symptoms. The real issue was who and who was Lord over my life. Who was Lord? And I had to make a decision to make a decision to actually make a decision to make Jesus my Lord. And I'll tell you that flesh battle rages all the time. We also fight our flesh. And really there's three components that, that I really feel like today, while there's many battles, there's three components that if you can get this, if you can get revelation on this, I believe that it will transform your Christian walk. And so really I'm speaking to believers today, but if you're not a believer today, at the end of this service, I will pray you into the kingdom, amen, and you can become a believer and then be equipped. Sound like a plan? So there's three parts to our spiritual battle with the flesh that I really want to hammer on today. One is apathy. The second one is pride. And the third aspect, this is a biggie, war wounds. Pride, apathy, and war wounds. Now we showed some of that video of basic training off the start. First of all, because I think war movies are cool, and I like the battle and the carnage and the blow em ups and the brave hearts and all that stuff. I like to watch things explode. I'm just a guy. It's what I do. Uh, but in studying history, I'm a fan of history, and I love, I find it fascinating studying the world wars, especially World War II. And as I studied history, World War II, it's interesting. America was in a unique time. They'd just come off World War I. They were tired of war. And so here we are in the 1930s. Hitler's on the rise. He's about to sack England and sack France. And, and here's America. And the prevailing thought is, America, wake up. 
There was a, there was a strong rise for isolationism. They, they wanted to, hey, we're separated by these waters here. We'll just leave that be. That doesn't affect us. But see, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was the president at the time, said this will not stand. What affects Europe will eventually affect us. And so in a blistering speech to his, in his fireside chats, he wrote a quote. And this is really a composite of the fireside chats, but I felt it compelling enough. I want to read it to you verbatim. We put that up on the screen. And so this is in his fireside chat, and here's what he says. How long is America going to pretend the world is not at war? From Berlin, Rome, and Tokyo, we have been described as a nation of weaklings and playboys who hire British, Russian, or Chinese soldiers to do our fighting for us. Tell that to the sailors who today are hitting hard in the far waters of the Pacific. Tell that to the boys in the flying fortresses. Tell that to the Marines. We've been trained to think that we're invincible, but our people think Hitler and his Nazi thugs are Europe's problem. We have to do more. Does anyone think that victory is possible without facing danger? In times like these, we all need to be reminded of who we truly are. That we will not give up. We are at war. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, everything changed. America realized war's here. As Christ followers, we have to understand war's here. We have to understand that we're in a battle, whether you like it or not. And in these three little uh, snippets that I want to address on apathy, pride, and war wounds, if we can get revelation of this, it will change the way we do life together. And so uh, comparing it to a battle and looking at that, I want to start with a guy named David. Many of you have heard of David. You know, it's interesting. A lot of younger people I talk to, they barely know Moses. They kind of know David. They think Jesus is a prophet. That's the culture we live in today. Now, I know that's astonishing to some of you, but that's what we face. And there's an apathy that really, I believe, is pervasive in America. I mean, you know what? I'm like you. I like sunshine in Wisconsin in May. And I really sometimes, my flesh does not want to come to church. Because why? I war against the what? The flesh. Well, first of all, I have to come because it's my job and I have to preach. So I really have no option unless I want to starve, you know. But the reality is we face the flesh. So David, talking about David. Let's talk about him. Now, he's famous for Goliath. He's famous for slaying that giant. But here's what David forgot. We're going to go over this text in just a second. David forgot about yesterday's giants. You see, yesterday's giants, yesterday's victories will not kill today's giants. In fact, that's so important. I'm going to say it again. Yesterday's victories will not kill today's giants. 2 Samuel 11 is our text. And really, apathy can affect a man's heart for God. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, Picture the scene, 
gentlemen. First of all, what the heck was David doing? Carousing. Anyway, he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he did what he should not have done. He slept with her. Now, here's the interesting part. How many of you think the, the real problem began when he slept with her? Raise your hand. I don't see a hand in here. Very good. The problem was the first scripture, it says, when kings normally go out to war. Where was David? He was sitting at home. He was born to conquer and take the territory. See, what David forgot was he was born to conquer giants. And what was interesting is that one sin led to a series of issues where he sets up Uriah the Hittite for murder. So he's become a murderer now. Uriah is sent to the heat of the battle. David knew what he was doing. And Uriah, his friend, dies. He's betrayed him, then tries to cover it up. The prophet Nathan comes and calls him out on it, and he eventually repents. Here's the issue, and this is the part I want you to see. If you read the scripture, after that event, David began to fight more internal wars than he did fighting the ites read the bible it's very clear everything in his household went completely nuts he had absalom his son try to kill him he had another son rape one of his daughters another son tried to take the throne i mean it was a catastrophe read his read the story of david after that he had a few victories over some other things but he wasn't the conqueror that he was designed to be prior to that issue because why he stayed when the king should go out to battle, when God bred him to take the promised land, he decided to stay home. Apathy can do that to us if we're not on guard. Apathy can be a killer. And if we choose to fight the battles within, if we choose to, if we choose to not face the battles that God has out for there and slay the Goliaths, you're going to be dealing with more problems internally. Does this make sense? It means you're going to be focused in a practical sense. It means I'm going to be focused on my kids so much that I've been neutralized for effectiveness. In fact, I don't care about anybody else because I am consumed by my problems. Anybody else been there? And this is true. And so what happens is, is that we become so me-focused because of our problems, the real battle is out there is winning the lost. Praying for people and going about doing good, destroying the real enemy, which is the devil and all of his schemes. But let's not cooperate with our flesh to torpedo our faith. So what can we learn here? David repented of his mistake. God did forgive him, but there were consequences. Yesterday's victories will not kill today's giants. You know, 4,000 churches a year close their doors. 4,000 churches a year close their doors every year. That's that's just the basic uh, statistics. That's about 12 a week. You know, as I began to just kind of research this, because it's what I like to do, I like to, I like to look at trends and stats. Here's the top things why churches lose their evangelistic focus. Number one, gossip increases. Dissension increases. Legalism increases. Ryan, I don't drink coffee. You shouldn't either. But you can only drink coffee on Thursdays. Otherwise, it's against, hello. Elitism increases. Self-absorbed behavior increases. Love diminishes, power diminishes, and churches die. And you know what? It begins, and it's so subtle. Apathy. Apathy is a big one. And you know, as I 
Hope and I prayed over this land here. You know, as I, I did this for a while, I just circled land. You know, there's a spirit of apathy, a religious, apathetic. This is what we do. Church really isn't who we are. It's what we just kind of do and we show up. And, and how many understand God did not design us for a once a week meal? You are destined for greatness. And that means you have to spend time in the presence. Church isn't what we do. It's who we are. We have to experience God. That is the antidote. That is the antidote to apathy. Experiencing the manifest loving presence. The Holy Spirit is in us. But how many of you felt the tangible sweet presence of the Holy Spirit just dripping all over you in times of great despair and great joy? You know, if you haven't felt that, you need to feel that. In fact, He's here today. Holy Spirit, hit them right now. Just flood them with that. Just touch them. We just break that spirit of apathy in the name of Jesus. Basic training principle number two today. That was the first one. Yesterday's victories will not kill today's giants. Basic principle number two, don't forget the one who won the war for you. Don't forget the one who won the war for you. Guy by the name of Uzziah. He was a king of Judah at the time after David uh, got off the throne, his son Solomon took over. After him, there was a split between the tribes of Israel and the tribes of Judah. There was a kingdom split. They had, they had failed to honor God properly. And so now Uzziah is the king of Judah. And we pick up his story in 2 Chronicles 26. He's a kid. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother name was Jecolia. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now, this is common sense. This is a guy that's listening to his pastor say, listen to my pastor. Let's say that again. Listen to my pastor. What a rebellious, stiff-necked lot. <laughs> oh, my. Isaiah. So he's listening to godly counsel. He's got good friends. Zechariah is teaching him the ways of the Lord. He's listening to his counselors. And guess what? Things are happening. Good things are happening. But now we skip down to Second Chronicles 26, verse 15, about 10 verses later. Second Chronicles, this is the second part of verse 15, and it says, His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. He was greatly helped until he became powerful. Is this resonating a little bit? What that means is, well, by golly, my business is it experiencing 538% growth this past quarter. Uh, look what I did. Look at my church. You know, pastors can fall victim to that. God help me if I ever say that. And you can pray me out of that ditch if I do. It's a team. It's us. It's we, right? We're in this together. And so... What Uzziah made the mistake was he started going until he became powerful. Don't forget the one who won the war for you. 
That would be the Lord. Verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Well, that was a big no-no. That was left for the priests. So not only is he trying to basically run the whole free world, now he's trying to tell the pastors how to sheep, how to shepherd the sheep. And not only that, he's thinking that I can do things that God said not to do. What was Lucifer's big one? You know, Lucifer was a worship leader. Satan was a worship leader. He was in the presence of God. So here's a man who knew, who brought him success, who knew it, who began to read his own press clippings. And it led into a place where eventually he contracted leprosy and he started off so strong. And on his tombstone, it said he had leprosy. Folks, it's not how you start. It is how you finish. And pride will mess you up. Pride and apathy. You know, I can be accused of a lot of things, but one thing I can't be accused of is that I burn for the Lord. It's why I stomp and froth and spit. <laughs> do ridiculously weird things, say things sometimes maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm trying. I'm engaged. I'm in the game. I can't be accused of apathy. I can be accused of other things, but not apathy. Why? Because what God has done for me, I burn to share with you. And I pray that you burn to share with others because each of you is an epistle written by the Lord. You have a testimony. Now share it. I don't want to hear I'm afraid. Guess what? Get over it. We all face fear. I asked Pastor Arnie, who probably has the greatest, that I've witnessed personally, the greatest one-on-one soul-willing capacity and anointing I've ever seen in one human being. And I asked him, I said, when you share Christ right at that moment of impact, do you feel fear? He goes, every time. I feel it. But what I realized is I need to get over me. That means I need to invest and invite people to church. I need to invest and invite people. And not only, let me tell you this. It's not about just conversion. Let me tell you, when I wasn't a Christ follower, the last thing I wanted to be was converted. I wanted to be told the truth and I wanted to be loved. Invest in me personally. Show me that you care and then you've got my attention. Invest in people. You know, I make it a mission. There's, there's plenty of people that I know that don't know Christ that I just enjoy being around. How many of you enjoy being around people that don't know the Lord? You know, I like to lift weights. Uh, I need to lift some more <laughs> to get in better shape. But the idea is I like to talk weights with people that like to lift weights. I like to pick their brains. And there's a lot of them that are, you know, quite frankly, are quite mm, carnal. They just are. But you know what? I enjoy being around them. We need to enjoy being around people who are messed up just as much as we are. Hello? We need God. But we need to have fellowship with them. And we need to remember that it's not all about us. Basic training principle number two, don't forget the one who won the wars for us. Basic training principle number three, war wounds will happen. If you are a Christ follower, not only will you have war wounds, the attack will intensify. Well, you say, Ryan, that's a little bit of a negative confession. No, that's a fact. When Jesus began to preach the truth, all hell and every religious, pharisaical demon came out to challenge him and attack him. Why? Because he wanted to reach people with grace. He faced betrayal. 
There is nothing that you feel that Jesus hasn't felt. All of those fears. But war wounds are critical for us to deal with when you become a Christ follower. You know, surveys say that 40% of the unchurched say they've been hurt by churches. What that tells me is that they've been to church and now they're part of a triage, a mash unit, that has nothing to do with church because why? Because someone said something. Well, I see this as twofold. One, people need to toughen up. <laughs> they need to receive correction. But here's the flip side. Churches, pastors, it's on you to love them through it. Don't tell them always what they want to hear. But on the other hand, give them an ear when they need to talk. This resonating? If I'm just shouting at you all the time and I'm telling you what you do, I'm not looking internal and I'm not walking that talk, well, then you have a right to complain. But you know what's sad is, is that we torpedo people out the church all the time because we don't walk the talk. And when we do make a mistake and they're looking, we don't own it. And I believe we need to start owning our stuff. There is no perfect church. In fact, I believe that so strongly. Let's say it again. There is no perfect church. And you know what? Not everybody's going to jive with Life Church. Praise God, there's a number of good churches here. And you know, there may be things about people in this church that you may not like, but I will tell you is that sometimes people we don't like are the sandpaper in our lives that will refine our pearl. Well, I don't like that church. That person frowned at me one day. <laughs> now, you know what? I've been there. The reason I'm speaking to this is because I've been there and I understand war wounds. Now, here's the other thing. I believe that there are people out there that need to be Christian Rambos on a recon mission and they're called to do that, but because of their own junk, they refuse to reach out. Why? Because they have wounds. We're called to be Christian Rambos. I love watching war movies and, you know, he's just, he's a tough guy. But you know, as Christians, we need to be tough on the enemy, but tender with people. We need to be tender with people. War wounds, if we meditate on them, if we meditate on war wounds, eventually it will neutralize your faith. It will neutralize your effectiveness. Taking personal responsibility. Here's a couple of scriptures about friendly fire. And you know, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, not only did Jesus feel this, but the Apostle Paul felt friendly fire often. If we look at the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, I'm going to read you a series of passages, and I want you to understand the context of when Paul was writing this. He is writing to the believers. He's not writing to the unbelievers. He's writing to the believers. He's writing, actually, to Timothy himself. And he wrote it in a dungeon in chains. Imagine the Apostle Paul has had a rock star-like ministry. People are getting healed, delivered, saved. He's done unbelievable things, works of God. Here's this man in change, preaching out of a dungeon, probably with sewage up to his legs up here. And here he's writing Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, verse 15. And here's what he says. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Phygelus and Hermogenes. 2 Timothy 4.10, as we skip down, here's what he says. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. 2 Timothy 4, 14, verse 14 through 16. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he's done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. 
The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it be not counted against them. The key part to that scripture of all those, this is in one letter. He's basically detailing all of his war wounds. He's poured into lives of people and how he's in a dungeon. I mean, now think about how you would feel. I guarantee you there's half of us in here that we wouldn't make it that far. Gosh, Ryan, you're being a little mean. No, here's the thing. We got to toughen up. We got to understand we're in this battle and we've got to forgive people much. We have to keep short accounts. If you nurse that wound, you feed it, you relive it, you rehash it, you talk about it, you intellectualize it, rationalize it, that sucker will own you. Ask me how I know. We have to keep short accounts. We have to keep short accounts. Paul forgave. He carried on his message. You know, he was beaten, flogged, abandoned, shipwrecked, deserted, busted, and disgusted. But he never, ever, ever forgot that he was there to serve. And he was empowered by the grace of Jesus to go about serving even in chains. Wow! This guy's tough. Now, it's interesting that for many times I would sit on the other side of the the pews, and I would hear a message like this, and I'd say, yeah, that sounds good, that preaches good. And you know what I would do on Monday? Nothing. I'm really contending with apathy in our lives today, okay? I'm really contending with pride in our lives today, and I'm really contending with your war wounds today. Let it go. Let it go. Because the enemy will send you ample opportunity when you begin to take a step of faith and start saying, yeah, I'm going to reach the lost. When you start going after the enemy territory, two things will happen. One, God will protect you when you keep short accounts and you forgive much. He will supernaturally protect you in that battle. And then the other thing he'll do, he'll take care of your internal problems. The ones that David was always having to fight, guess who will take care of those problems? The Lord will. You go about doing kingdom work, he'll take care of you. Take care of God's house, he'll take care of yours. We get it opposite. When I'm ready, when everything's perfect in my world, well, then I'll serve. Then I'll join a church. Then I'll get engaged. Then I'll join a life. Are you guys hearing this? This is so critical for our growth. You know, we have a best life now. But um, friends, you are going to be in a fight. Just like Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, we cannot stand by and watch evil run roughshod over this community anymore. It's done. You are born to fight. Now let's use our weapons. The weapons of peace, God's righteousness. I'm the righteousness of Christ. I have his perfection for my imperfection. Sorry, devil, that one doesn't work. Well, let me feed you a little unforgiveness. Sorry, devil, that one doesn't work. Well, let me jack with your job. Sorry, devil, there's my peace. That one doesn't work. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Amen. Amen. <laughs> the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God and the pulling down of strongholds. The battle is in your mind. The battle is your flesh. Let's take captive that thought and never lose sense of the mission. I love the movie... Chronicles of Narnia. I'm going to show you a clip here in about a minute. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, the latest edition, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, King Caspian 
and Edmund have this alpha male power struggle. Both want power. Well, eventually, Edmund begins to realize his place. They, instead of fighting each other, that church is my problem, that believer is my problem. Instead of fighting each other, they realized who the enemy was. It was the white witch. Watch this clip and tell me that this isn't exactly a picture of where the body of Christ should be. No matter what happens here, every soul who stands before me has earned their place on the crew of the Dawn Treader. Together we have traveled far. Together we have faced adversity. Together we can do it again. So now is not the time to fall to fierce temptations. Be strong. Never give in. Our world, our Narnian lives depend on it. Think of the lost souls we're here to save. Think of Aslan. Think of Narnia. For Narnia! That picture, that picture of Edmund and him looking at each other and realizing what they had to do, there was that moment of purpose. You understand you were born to win. You were born to win this battle. You were not born to sit and put out internal household fires all the time. If the devil can keep you on your heels, worrying about your job, your income, your health, everything else, your kids, if you're in a constant state of worry, you've been neutralized. In the greater battle, you have an amazing part to play in the story. Now live it. Let's do it. Amen. You can do it. Amen. Please bow your heads with your eyes closed. You say, Ryan, I've heard this rhetoric before. It's done nothing for me. Good, you have a war wound. It's time to release that. Say, you've tried church before. It hadn't worked for me. Well, you're at the right place because this is a real church who has real people with real problems who are really loving Jesus and a real God who will do real supernatural things for you if you let him. Don't forget the one who wants to win the war for you. Don't forget the one who brought you here. You know, our God is a gracious God. He really is. If you get to know him and you know the grace and the power of his resurrection, everything that I've said today will make sense. This life isn't easy. God never promised it would be easy. He just asked us to be faithful and the results are up to him. And he says that you're more than a conqueror. He says, the good work that I've begun in you today, I will bring it to completion. That you can stand on. But you have to know him and the power of his resurrection. It begins with a personal relationship. It's not about joining Life Church, not about uh, being a part of a church, although we would love to have you. It's a fundamental decision to make who your Lord is. Who is your Lord? I know I face that crossroads and it's tremendous leap for the person who's right on the precipice. It may seem simple. It may seem like a little prayer, but Lordship, Lordship is a decision and you have to take that leap of faith. But once you do, you will burn for him if you give him everything. He will give his resources to empower you. You say, Ryan, I... That, I've made a lot of mistakes. Good, you're in great company because we've all made them. And you know what? I make them today, even as a pastor. 
I just give it to Jesus and I do the best I can every day, one day at a time. But I implement the principles that I preach today. I've been hurt many times. So many, I can't even, I'd be rich. I've been prideful many times. So many times, I'd be rich. And I've been apathetic. So many times, I'd be rich. We can do more. We can win this war for this city. And the time is now. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal saver, and you know that you know, we're not going to try to make you feel bad. In fact, I'm just trying to empower you to live this life that God has for you. But you say, Ryan, I'm not sure if I die today, if the rapture were to happen today, would I go to heaven? Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to preach this message today for you. If you don't know, would you raise your hand right now? And I want to be sure. Let's be sure. Anyone in this house, raise your hand. There's one. Praise God. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. I declare by faith that we're going to bring thousands of people into the kingdom through this church in this city. Let's pray this prayer. Father in heaven, I receive your forgiveness and your grace. I know I'm a sinner and I know you love me. And because of what you did on that cross, I am delivered. I am free. Free to live out the life you've given me. Now I take it. I break off apathy. I break off pride. And I give you my hurts. In the power of Jesus' name. Amen.